Well, good morning, everyone. We, uh, if you're visiting here with us, we know there are a lot of people traveling on Labor Day weekend, a lot of people gone, and a lot of people have come. And uh, how about visitors, first time? I want to ask you to stand. Could you just raise your hand real fast? You're up and then down, visitors, first time. Ready, go. Go, good. Those of you who saw those hands pop up, be sure to give them a friendly squeeze before they uh, slip out here later today. Um, I have been actually sharing um, the greatest sermon ever preached, and who preached it was Jesus. And so, therefore, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're coming to the third section on, on divorce. But the Sermon on the Mount is absolutely amazing. And if you've not yet read it or haven't read it recently, and haven't read it recently slowly... And meditatively, I really challenge you to do that. It's found in Matthew's Gospel, the first Gospel of the New Testament, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And uh, we have been uh, actually looking at um, this. Jesus has been teaching. There are six contrasts found in chapter 5. So Jesus, when he went up onto the hill, and after he was said, his disciples came to him, the scripture says, and he opened his mouth and he began to speak to them, saying, and we went through the Beatitudes, and then we're now into these six contrasts. And Jesus has been teaching, therefore, by contrast, and he's been contrasting what would be called the old righteousness, as, as meaning righteousness by the law, righteousness by what you do minimally, uh, contrasted to the new righteousness available through everyone who possesses a new kingdom heart. Now remember, Jesus uh, began this just a few verses prior to chapter 5, and he said, um, repent, change your mind, uh, change your heart. Um, the kingdom of God is now at hand. Everybody lift up a hand and look at it. That's pretty close, isn't it? Jesus said the kingdom of God uh, is at, at hand. So, so far then, in, as, we, as I've been sharing sort of expositionally uh, through this text, so far we've looked at murder contrasted to anger, contempt, and destructive talk. Now, you remember Jesus said, you've heard it said in times of old, thou shalt not murder. That comes from the moral law. In the Old Testament, that comes from the Ten Commandments. Everybody gets that. Um, but, and, and there were people then who were keeping that commandment, assuming that they were righteous because they have not yet killed anybody. Now, Jesus went on then to say, uh, but I say to you, whoever is angry and whoever has contempt and whoever destroys people with their mouth is also guilty of murder. So Jesus raised the bar a good bit. Now, remember, he's the one that fulfills that bar as well. And the second contrast is, you've heard it said, in times of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. I've never had an adulterous affair. But Jesus said, whoever lusts after another person, uh, whoever fantasizes and has fantasized desire toward another person, has already committed adultery in his heart. So Jesus was actually... Not um, condemning people because they, they had anger and contempt. He was telling them that, number one, you're not as righteous as you think you are because you haven't murdered and haven't committed adultery. 
You're righteous because God in the person of Jesus comes into your life and transforms the heart and begins to erode the seeds of anger and contempt and destructive talk and lust and and, uh, fantasized desire. It's the kingdom heart that Jesus is talking to that crowd uh, about on the hill. So this third contrast then that we come to is this notion um, of divorce. Now, uh, let me say before we begin, um, statistically in our culture, we're about at the 50 percentile of those who have been divorced. Now, if that is true, in any population, we could probably say, if you split the sanctuary down the middle, about 50 percent of you who have been affected by divorce, either by having divorced or having been divorced or having been the 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 parent of someone who got divorced or the children of someone who got divorced. See what I'm saying? I believe the statistic was higher in Jesus' day. And I'll show you why I say that in just a minute. Well, let's read. Turn in your Bible, if you would, to Matthew's Gospel, the fifth chapter. And let me read, uh, beginning in verse 31, where Jesus talks about this notion of divorce. And then we'll look at the flow of why he's saying it now versus earlier or versus later. Jesus said, furthermore, it has been said, you see, and that's the similar phrase, if you've heard it said in times of old, or in the law, and specifically, if you're interested and you want to make a little doodle or note in your Bible, that comes from Deuteronomy 24, chapter, or verse 1 of chapter 24 and following. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce, a pink slip. You're out of here, honey. Sort of. Okay. But I say to you, verse 32, I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except for sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, this is one of these tough ones to interpret, but let's look at it in its context and see if we can understand the heart and the, the notion of God in this, um, this, this particular issue. What I want you to observe is the flow of Jesus' sermon. And what I mean by that is where did he start and where is he now? Um, the kingdom of God, you remember, in Matthew 4, verse 17 and following, Jesus came and he announced the most amazing good news ever, that the kingdom, the domain... The rule of God is now available to everyone. And in the Beatitudes, we saw, if you were here for that, it was the destitute, it was the down, it was the spit upon, the look down upon, it was the people, the common people of the day. And Jesus announced that the kingdom of God is now as close as the air you breathe or the hand that we just looked at before your face. The kingdom of God is at hand and it's available to everyone. So the flow of the sermon begins with that point. Without understanding that point, we'll miss his point. Now, the second thing he said, Jesus began to teach upon about anger and contempt and destructive words. He talked about murder and those who were strutting their chest because they hadn't murdered and perceived or presumed they were righteous. And Jesus said, no, it's about a heart thing. So if you're angry without cause, you're already committing murder. And then Jesus goes from there and he talked about adultery and we can't you know, beat our chest and say, I haven't had an adulterous affair. When, if there are seeds of 
uh, fantasized desire and looking. Here, here's the key. Desiring to desire because I like what it feels like. That's the issue. Jesus said, so you have, you have anger and murder in your heart. And if you have fantasized desire in your heart. And then he talks about this notion of divorce. Now, what did Jesus actually mean? The brilliance of Jesus is here is amazing. Let me see if I can draw it together uh, for you. The first thing that he says is that if uh, there were no anger, follow the logic. You see, it's not that we don't shoot somebody or behead somebody or kill somebody, but if we would actually deal with our anger and our contempt and our murderous thoughts towards someone when our rights are violated and when our will is crossed. If we would deal with that, and secondly, if we would then deal with uh, the, the fantasized desire in our hearts toward people who are not our spouse, uh, then there would be a whole lot less divorce. You see, there's a whole lot of anger in the midst of fantasized desire. And fantasized desire and anger and contempt begins to lead us down the slope, the spiral, into uh, dissatisfaction with the person that you're joined with, which then can lead to divorce. Now, what Jesus, I think, is saying here is that for those who persist in uh, not not murdering, but those who persist in allowing the seeds of anger and contempt and murderous talk to persist in their heart, will find themselves sliding into other areas where they allow other things like looking and lusting for other people. And when you begin to nurture the seeds of anger and contempt and foul talk and destruction of people through your lips and fantasizing about what you think would make you happier that will ultimately and can lead to the destruction uh, through divorce. And what Jesus is saying here is to those people, um, there is no kingdom in you. Because the kingdom is where God rules. The kingdom is where the domain of the king exercises his will. And uh, there is no rule of God in that person. So I think... In the time of Jesus, here's what we need to recognize, why Jesus was speaking this. In, his, in the time of Jesus, a man could get rid of a woman for any reason. That's why I said I believe the divorce rate was far greater than it is even today. You burnt a stew. There's too much salt in my dinner. That was a cover-up and a charade for what was really in the heart of that man. Anger and contempt and fantasize desire for someone else, and then they would legislate it. Oh, as long as I give you a pink slip, I'm righteous before the law of Moses. You see, Jesus, there, you could get rid of a woman for any reason, just that she displeased you. Now, Jesus is therefore, once again, denouncing the old form of righteousness. Not murdering, pretty righteous. Uh, not having had adultery, pretty righteous. Uh, I divorced my wife, but I gave her the pink slip, according to Deuteronomy 24. Do you see how ludicrous this is? This is the absurdity that Jesus is talking about to, to the religious establishment of his day. I've given my wife a pink slip, and now she's divorced from me. 
Jesus said, no, it's like it's like murder. It's not that you haven't murdered. It's that you're dealing and allowing God to effectively deal with the seeds of anger in your heart. You allow God, the kingdom, to come to bear in the heart of your life and allow him to deal with your thought life and 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 that uh, fantasized desire. And the same it is with divorce. If we had little anger, fantasized desire, we'd have very little divorce. Now, a man in that day was generally thought to be righteous and good uh, in the matter of divorce if when he sent his wife away, he gave her a written statement that declared her to be divorced. Now, let me tell you something. In that culture, there were people who were living what they thought was biblically accurate lives before God, never killing and never having a physical relationship with another person. Uh, and when they divorced, by giving them a pink slip, and they thought that they were right before God. Now, what Jesus is saying to the crowd, it isn't you're not doing, or in the third case, doing something, but it's allowing God to deal with your heart. Brothers and sisters, that is always the issue with Jesus. It's not a religious issue. It is a heart Issue. Now, Matthew chapter 19, uh, if you would like to turn there with me, let me elucidate this. Let me expand it as Jesus did a few chapters later. In Matthew chapter 19, let me just read beginning in verse 3. Because this is really curious. You begin to see the attitude of the Pharisees, but you also begin to see the attitude of the apprentices of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus. Now, how many have your Bible open? Cool. Some of you. Let me read it, because some of you don't. Uh, Verse 3. The Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, and they said to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his life for, here it is, just any reason? Is it lawful for a man to, to, to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and he said to them, uh, Have you not read that he who made them at the very beginning made them male and female? And, he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but they're one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, then why did Moses command to give a pink slip, a a certificate of divorce, and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses uh, did so because of the hardness of your hearts, permitting you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And, verse 9, I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her uh, who is divorced commits adultery. And at that point, now notice what we have here so far. The prevailing attitude of the Pharisees is, is, is made very clear. Verse 3 says, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Say that, just any reason. Look at your wife if you're married. Go, just any reason. You see, that was the prevailing attitude, that for just any reason, we could put you away. Now, we come down to verse 10, and his disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, 
Well, it's better for us not to be married at all. What did that just show? It showed they had the very same attitude. You see, the disciples said, if, it's in such a, if that's the case between a man and a woman, it's better not to be married at all. In other words, if I can't write the pink slip and get rid of the woman that I want to just for any reason, then it's better not to be married. Do you see the prejudices, the issues of the heart? Now, it's a heart issue that Jesus is speaking about here. Now, let's move this a little bit further. Jesus then summarized what I would call God's view in Matthew 19. And the first one that he said uh, is this. God made them male and female. Men and women. Secondly, a man at the appointed time shall leave his mother and father and cleave or join, be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. Man and woman, man leaving, joining, cleaving to a wife, and they become something altogether new, one flesh. Thirdly, Jesus said, therefore, they uh, are no longer two but one, And what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, this is Jesus' view of what the Father said. And then, fourthly, Jesus said, um, was asked, why did Moses command to give a certificate or a pink slip? And he said, God permitted it because of the hardness of your heart. Now, remember what Jesus is teaching about on the sermon on the mount or the discourse on the hill. Anger and murder contemptuous thoughts, uh, lust and fantasized desire, and now he comes to the issue of divorce. From the beginning, it was not so. Now, let's just retrace the logic of Jesus, the greatest preacher there ever was. Keeping the law, that is, giving a pink slip, doesn't make you righteous in divorce. I hate when that happens. That's what the disciples said, verse 10 of chapter 19 of Matthew. It's better for us not to be divorced if we can't give a pink slip for just any reason. Rechasing the logic then, God's original intention was the union of, of one man and one woman to experience the deepest possible relationship, drawing, drawing on divine resources to move that relationship forward. Remember, the kingdom of God is at hand. The resources of the king are available. They're as close to you as the air you breathe or the hand you hold up in front of you. That's not the question, whether the resources of the kingdom and the king are available. The issue is the hardness of your heart that keeps the resources from heaven breaking in through the hardness of your heart. That's what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. This unity, then, of relationship is inseparable and, when violated, creates untold pain. Can anybody say that? Amen to that. Raise your hand and go, yeah, I've been through one or I'm the... I'm the victim of, or I've been, yib, 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 lots of pain. Yep, we got two honest people in here, maybe three. We all see it. We understand the pain and the challenge of, of divorce. Now remember, uh, Jesus then is simply saying God allowed for divorce in extreme uh, cases because of the hardness of a person's heart. Now, 
it's been the hardness of the heart that Jesus cites as the biblical grounds for divorce, even in the case of adultery. Some Christians have the idea if a spouse falls into adultery, it is their responsibility to divorce them. And I would say to you, no, it isn't. It might be required because of the hardness of at least one's heart, but it might be your heart, the one who wants to lash out because of anger and contempt and deceitful words. You see, it's the anger and the murder in the heart. And it's because you hurt me so bad. Jesus isn't saying that you can't divorce, but He's saying the issue is hardness of heart. If we would deal with the hardness of our heart, we would deal with all of the issues that He raises. In other words, the ultimate grounds for divorce is human meanness. Christian meanness. Hardness in the heart, though you might say, I've never murdered, I've never had an adulterous affair, but there's meanness that is unresolved in your heart, which will give way to other issues, discontent and looking and lusting and fantasized desire that will eventually put your relationship with that one-fleshed spouse of yours in jeopardy. Unwillingness to change one's mind so that the kingdom of God, so that God can actually rule in the midst of my heart, beloved, is the issue. It's for me and it's the issue for you. Let me give you some symptoms of what an unwillingness to change one's mind, Matthew 4:17, repent and believe the good news that the kingdom resources are now available to absolutely every one of us. That's the message of the sermon. The, symptom, the symptoms of being unwillingness to change is, well, there's residual and residing anger and contempt and destructive words, verbal and physical abuse and hatred in the heart. Now, here's the deal. You know when that's in there. And so do I know it when it's in me. And it's incumbent upon me as it is incumbent upon you every time you recognize the anger and the contempt and the murder and hatred and the words that then spew out of the heart. Out of the heart, you see, the mouth speaks. When you, when you recognize it in your heart, there's only one response for the man or the woman of the kingdom, and that is to change your mind, to repent. And say, God, I'm a man of the kingdom. How is this possible? Well, it's possible because it's like uh, simply um, not doing anything. You begin to gravitate toward the flesh. So you simply say, God, I'm a man of the kingdom. And I will not tolerate this anger and hatred and contempt in my life. And I'm repenting of it. And now, God, I am inviting the king to assert his kingdom in my heart you be the resources that I need in order to love, to forgive, to give grace, etc. The second symptom then of unwillingness to change the mind isn't just anger and hatred and contempt, etc., uh, but it's all forms of fantasized desire and discontentment. You know, being married to a spouse, this is really corny, by the way, as you'll see in a minute, but it's like if you're a boater, you know, someone who has a boat, have you ever noticed anything about boats? They cost a lot. 
They cost a lot. There's a similarity. <laughs> There's always one bigger. There's always one more beautiful. There's always one that's got more gizmos and get-ups and, you know, there's always a better one. Hello? Need I say more? See, that's the fantasized... Fantasized is always fantasizing about the bigger, the better, the, the, the more desirable. And when we give our hearts to that, beloved, it will absolutely destroy relationship with the boat you own. <laughs> sort of. You know what I mean. Okay. Now, that then leads to the third symptom, which is asserting one's own kingdom. I'm going to have that bigger boat. Woo! Bless Jesus! <laughs> you see how this happens? I've been in an affair of the heart. I've shared that publicly. How's it happen? Very seductively and very easily. And we rationalize it. We say, oh, now you never hurt little flirt here. And pretty soon you're in the full spin thing, beloved. Let him who stands be careful lest he fall. So then, Jesus came announcing the good news. And the good news is, there is a kingdom, and it's absolutely at hand. We don't get in the kingdom when we die. The kingdom gets into us when we surrender. When we allow the king to come in and live his life within us. Matthew 4, 17. Change your mind, which means turn and believe the good news. Invite, then, the king's resources into your life. That's what this is about. Jesus was not condemning the population on the hill because they had been divorced or given pink slips or been the ones who had actually divorced. He wasn't condemning anybody. Somebody say, that's good news. Let's try that again. Somebody say, that's good news. He's not condemning you if you have been divorced. But what he is saying, the same thing he said to those on the hill, let the king begin to reside in your heart and change it, and it will be absolutely transformational, unlike those who were simply religious. These resources then of the king deliver us from murder because they deal with anger, contempt, and abusive talk. The resources of the king... The kingdom delivers us from adultery and also from all forms of fantasized desire. This really does work. It really does work. I've walked there. The king will give you all of the resources of the heavenly realm simply by asking for it. These resources also deliver us from divorce, bringing us into a mystical union with another loving a person, a loving relationship with the king and with each other. You say, I have fallen out of love. Oh, guess what? You are primed for the kingdom of God to be expanded in your heart. Well, I'm married, but I fell in love. With somebody else. That's like you fell in something else. 
You see, the fact is, love is an unconditional commitment that we make because the King has made unconditional commitment to you. The kingdom of God in that place then has come to bear in your life. So Jesus wasn't condemning anyone. Rather, He was simply pointing out the narrow legalistic practice of the religious establishment of His day. Hey, I've given her a pink slip and I am righteous before God. No, that's legalism. And you haven't even thought about getting close to the kingdom. Which is what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, who came to Jesus at night. He said, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, born from the resources of the Spirit from above, you will not see the kingdom, and Nicodemus, nor will you enter into it. You see, it's the resources of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. Now, he was... He was giving the common people who suffered under this legalistic misinterpretation, He was giving them hope that only comes from receiving the resources from the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus was doing. The Pharisees beat people up. The religious people, you know, who, who they, Jesus wasn't doing that. He was saying, Beloved, I don't care your experience. The realm and the resources of the kingdom of God are now available to each one of you, even those of you who are living in shame on the mountain, those who have been broken and spit out and chewed up and slandered and oppressed and all that other stuff by the religious establishment, he was giving them hope because now there is a kingdom. This hope is a vital relationship with Jesus himself. The gospel, again, he brings it back to uh, the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is the hope, the source of hope, because it's vital relationship with Him who would then send the Holy Spirit to live in us and teach us and guide us. And look at those last two words. To resource us. When you don't like your husband, guess what? Pray thy kingdom come. Thy will be done upon the earth is my life as it's now being done in heaven. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all of these other things will be, will be added unto you. Here's the question I want to end with. Have you received the full measure of the resources of the King of Heaven in your life? Or shall I, I gave my life to Jesus. No, that's not the question. The question is, have you received, and it probably should say, are you presently receiving the full resources of the kingdom of heaven? In other words, when you sense anger and discontentment and contempt uh, and, and words beginning to come out, are you at that point asking God to release His resources into your heart? If, if there's that tendency to look at things you should not look and to lust toward people you should not be lusting toward, if there is fantasized desire in your heart, are you covering it up and acting religious? Jesus sees it. And more importantly, He wants to heal it. The kingdom of God is at hand. The Holy Spirit is 
your personal resource in times of challenge and need. Do you know Jesus was tempted in every way just like us? That means he was tempted with fantasized desire. I said tempted with. There's diff- there is a difference between having a fleeting thought and go, Oof, where did that come from? I think I'll just linger on that one for a while. You see, that's where it begins to happen. Jesus was tempted just like you, but yet without sin. Receiving the Holy Spirit is one short, howbeit genuine, heartfelt prayer away by which a man or a woman turns from themselves, their rights, and their will, and turns to the King of Heaven and invites Him to rule and to reign in their heart. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's available. Will you receive the presence or will you continue His presence or will you continue to live on your own resources is the question. Beloved, I think the majority of woes in this world oh, that's a big statement, could be wiped out as men and women walk under the authority and by the power and the resources of the kingdom of God. Whence cometh wars and fighting among you, James says. Come they not from your own lust and desires. You see, all of the big industry in this nation with pornography and all the rest, that's, that's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is where is your heart? You see, if we would keep our heart open to the King and allow Him to come and really do business within us, it's transformational. And thirdly, if that were the case, divorce rate would just plummet. God's given me the very person that I need. Raise your hand. Not you, Peter. Cynthia, my wife. God's given me the exact person that I need. And God's given you the exact person I need. And by dreaming about a better boat, never accomplishes the kingdom of God. Well, let's have our worship team uh, come up because I'm finished and it's a couple minutes till 12. But here's what I want to invite you to before we uh, slip out. Maybe let's have some prayer uh, partners come up too. Maybe our ministry team and some of our elders and staff people, it doesn't matter. Just come on up here because I want to invite you uh, to receive the Holy Spirit this morning. You say, well, I've already done that. Wrong question. Are you living according to His resources? And if the answer to that is no, then you must be filled with His presence again. Don't be religious about this. Have you been baptized in the Spirit? Have you been filled with the Spirit? Are you being filled with His presence and resources today? If yes, glory. If no, come and take a big drink of the One who loves you with an everlasting love. Let's just begin to pray, shall we? Let's pray for just a minute and I'll dismiss this. Lord, it's the hard sayings of your kingdom that help us to grow the most. And Lord, I want to thank you, Jesus, that you've, you don't, nor have you come to condemn us. 
but that the world, you said, through you might be saved. And Lord, I know that this is a subject that's difficult because many here have been divorced. But I want to thank you that you don't condemn us. You simply invite us to receive more of your power, more of your presence, more of your resources in our lives. Holy Spirit, I invite you now as we conclude our public time together to begin to manifest yourself knocking on the door of each one of our hearts. Lord, I break the power of the religious spirit, the deception that says, oh, I'm all right. Jesus paid it all. Therefore, I can do. No, the kingdom of God is at hand and available to each one of us. If you're in a place where you have never really made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to invite you to come forward. If you're in a place where you need to allow the resources of the Spirit of God to come into your life afresh today, then I invite you to come forward as well. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. That means it's right now and it's available to every person who genuinely and sincerely opens their heart to the king. So let's stand and we'll be dismissed in just a moment. Well, they're beginning to play. If you would like prayer, maybe for yourself or maybe for somebody else, you say, oh, I'm too embarrassed to come forward. Probably not a good response. You need to come to Jesus just as you are. So, for the sake of, well, for your sake, I'm going to dismiss us. And then I'm going to allow you, as others are transitioning out, for you to come and to receive prayer, to be filled, or to be saved for maybe the very first time. may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you may the Lord lift up his face his countenance upon you may the Lord let the light of his glory shine in you and through you all the days of your life May the Lord give you great peace as you love Him and follow Him and serve Him all the days of your life. And may you go and may you share that love of Jesus with those that you meet in the name of Jesus. And everybody said who received that benediction, Amen. God bless you. You are free to slip out or you are free to come and receive prayer. Have a wonderful uh, Labor Day weekend in Jesus.